Good evening and a very warm welcome to People of Note on Classic 1027 with me, Richard Cock. In this program, we talk to someone who is a person of note and listen to music of their choice. And my guest tonight is someone that you, if you're a regular listener to Classic 1027, you will know well because his name is Kutluana Masote. Good evening and welcome. Thank you so much, Richard. It's a great pleasure. And I think it will be a nice opportunity for people to discover more about you because you're usually interviewing other people yeah. on your program, but now is a chance for them to discover who Kutluano is. And uh, we're going to listen in a moment to your first choice of music, but I first came across you as a cellist. Yes. That's when I first met yeah. you, uh, when you came back from studying overseas. Mm. So I was very fortunate, and I'm sure I will talk about that a little bit more in depth later, to have met Yehudi Menuhin uh, in 1995, played for him, got given a scholarship here here in Johannesburg when he came with the Lithuanian Chamber Orchestra, performances of Handel's Messiah, I think it was. And uh, yeah, so he gave me the scholarship on the spot, a day that changed my life in March 1995. So the instance you're referring to would have been in about 1998 when the newly reformed uh, National Symphony Orchestra was auditioning because people had left or, or for, for, for certain, for many reasons, there were openings in the orchestra. And I happened to be home for Easter holidays. I heard the orchestra was doing auditions. I said, oh, I'll practice every day. Let me have a go. And you were accepted. And I was accepted, yeah, thanks to you and others, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and then we've remained colleagues and friends since because uh, we've come across each other in various guises, both on radio, yeah. playing in orchestras, and now not only do you play in, well, I don't know if you play anymore, but I you conduct now. Play. Do you I still, still play? play. You have to pay a lot to see me play. But, yeah, no, I mean, I my children want me to play a lot more. My wife also wants me to play a lot more. But uh, I've become a conductor, and that was also another, you know, something that I didn't start out wanting to do. But a whole series of very fortuitous events led me that way. But but and you seem to be doing more now. Absolutely, I, I enjoy it. I really do, and uh, I, I think it's uh, an extension of my musicality. Uh, I think I have a lot to say, and conducting. Uh, sort of lends one that opportunity as you would know not only from an artistic point of view but i th i think it gives you an opportunity to do something for others and something for music because of the responsibilities that you're entrusted with when you take up those positions well and also from an educational point of view but we'll talk about that because you're you're very involved in education as well this is the cello suite number one in g major by i don't know if he's a favorite of yours but he's a favorite of mine johann of sebastian mine. bach yeah this is the prelude played by Yo-Yo Ma. Yo-Yo Ma playing the prelude from the cello suite number one in G major by Johann Sebastian Bach, the choice of Kutluana Masote, who's my guest in People of Note. I guess you've played that yourself. A lot. It's the first. You know, Bach wrote uh, six uh, suites for, for solo cello, and they each have six movements. So of the 36 movements, this is one that most of us learn, the first one that we learn. Yo-Yo Ma, strangely enough, tells a story about uh, being four years old and his father teaching him, and his father was not a cellist, but teaching him bar by bar, one bar every day, and adding on until he learned the, I guess, 80, 90 bars of the whole thing. I guess on a little baby cello. On a baby cello, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I, I was a little bit older when I learned that one, and it, and it remains a favorite. Every cellist knows it from memory. You learn it, and you play it so much, and you never forget it. Now, you grew up in a string-playing family because mm -hmm. your father was a well-known teacher, uh, Michael Masote, 
And did he give you your first lessons? Yeah. So uh, the, there's two sides to that. Yes, my father gave me my first formal string um music lessons and it was on a violin interestingly enough because the violinist i have an older sister who actually should have carried on playing the violin because she was pretty good and a younger brother so we all played violin uh, my mother also played violin uh, that's how my parents actually met because she wanted to play the violin and she wanted to be closer to the violin teacher and the rest as they say is history but i learned at home quite rightly uh and uh it was it was a rich musical background my father i often speak about uh composers such as uh, PJ Similani, composers such as Muduba, the Kozas. Uh, they were all friends of my father and they used to come to our home uh, because my father had this thing called the orchestra that they were all interested in uh, because he was teaching uh, string instruments from way back in 1965. He started the Symphony Youth Orchestra and then the Soweto Symphony Orchestra. So I was brought up in this vibrant environment uh you know every time i bump into sipo mabusa amongst others prince lingwasa was mentored by my father sipo took theory of music lessons with my father so you know there were there was a lot of music and musicians going through our home and i think it, it was only a matter of time before i became a musician and the soweto symphony orchestra was the orchestra which he ran because mm-hmm. i remember um being involved in botswana in the 70s and the 80s and there was already a group of musicians from Soweto touring to Botswana in those days. Yeah, so the Soweto Symphony Orchestra as it became later uh, serviced the entire Sadek region. I mean, uh, they used to perform in Lesotho, Swaziland. This is long before the days of the organized choral competitions where a little mission here would request for the orchestra to come and do excerpts from the Messiah. So Botswana, Lesotho, the Grahamstown Arts Festival, the very first edition of the festival, the conductor was my father with the Soweto Symphony Orchestra. I think it was in 1974. Uh, and, and this is a history that we need to tell because this orchestra serviced the entire community. Yeah, it's amazing, actually. And I think, has a history been written? Uh, no, but uh, that's why I'm still around. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, It's I think one it of the things I still need to get to. Yeah. And I hope you've got lots of photographs. He, my, my father was a good uh, storyteller and he was uh, he was a man of detail and he documented a lot photographs he wrote a little bit so I'll find all those manuscripts fantastic a voice from afar una voce poco far from the barber of Seville well that was pretty yende singing una voce poco far from the barber of Seville by Rossini the choice of Cutluano Masote my guest and She's been a guest of yours on the stage while you're conducting also. Yeah, pretty. I first met Pretty when she was 21 years old in 2006, I think it was. And I was working for the Miyagi Festival, for Robert Brooks and the Miyagi Festival. And it was a Mozart uh, centenary of sort. I think it was 250 years. Yes, 250 years since his birth. And Robert decided to do this amazing Mozart concert with a, with a chamber orchestra from Germany. And we were based in Cape Town for the festival. And one of, there were a couple of things, uh, one from the Magic Flute that Pretty and Given and Gossi, uh, the tenor, sang. And I remember hearing these two thinking, wow, they're really amazing, especially the girl. And and that was that was my first meeting with Pretty. And, and uh, yeah, we've, we've done a few concerts. Uh, we did one two years ago. Um, but the first one we did together was in 2013. We even performed in her hometown 
of Beatrice, a most incredible, you know, afternoon concert. The mayor was there, and just how someone like a pretty and who comes from a town that's, I guess, very divided along racial and social sort of class lines where everybody, you know, black people and white people do their things separately. But on this occasion, they all packed into the tiny town hall. The mayor hosted us. There was a power failure. The mayor ran around town looking for a generator. And you can trust the mayor to find a generator uh, on a Sunday uh, just to get the concert going again because we needed lights. The BBC was filming. And it was the most incredible afternoon because you got people sitting next to each other that it was clear that would usually be just walking past each other. And they all felt that they owned this child. It was one of theirs. And it was the most amazing, magical day. So that's that's my favorite Pretty Ender story. Well, uh, there are probably quite a few Pretty Ender stories, and we won't go into those now because this is rather about you today. Um, tell us about your early uh, childhood. You, you played in an orchestra. You had lessons with your father. Who was the first person outside of your family to make an influence on you? And how did you change to the cello, for example? So I, I mentioned when you first asked if my father taught me that there were two sides to it. I think my biggest influence was my grandmother. And that's why I'd like us, uh, you know, soon to listen to a recording of I Know That My Redeemer Liveth from the Messiah because she was a singer. It was her favorite aria. And she remains very special to me. She would be 99. She died in 2005. But beyond uh, the family itself, uh, my first mentor was Peter Ann Holcroft, uh, who is still a friend. Uh, she taught me for five years through my high school years. My father took me to her at the age of 13. Now, I have children that are 12 and 14. And when I look at them and I look at Peter, and I always remind her, I was, I was that age when, when I first came to you. And uh, Peter Ann's mother, of course, was, was the great Peggy Haddon, the, the pianist, who played with me just about all my graded music exams, some exams at university as well. We remained friends even after I came back from Switzerland and joined the orchestra. We'd regularly just sit on a Sunday afternoon, bottle of wine, and just play Vivaldi sonatas and the like. Uh, so, yeah, very influential family, the the Holcrofts Richardsons. And at that time also, you got a, some sort of scholarship or bursary to go to St. John's College. Yeah, um, again... You know, always the right place, right time. Uh, National Youth Orchestra, 1989 in Bloemfontein. And uh, in the room during the rehearsals was seated an old lady that was knitting. And she came to me in one of the breaks. Her name was Dr. Margaret Nabarro. And she said to me, uh, where do you go to school? How old are you? You know, all the usual questions. And she said, have you ever heard of St. John's College? And I said, yes. And she said, would you like to go to the school? When you get back to Johannesburg, please, this is my number. Get your parents to call me. So we went to see her. Uh, she by then had already spoken to the head of music, Dr. Ben Oersteisen, uh, whom I actually had lunch with yesterday. Um, and... Uh, Dr. Ben Oersteisen facilitated that I come and do a little, you know, entrance exam, audition, blew them away, of course, with the audition. Uh, never sort of had a cello played like that at the school. And and so that was the beginning of my journey at St. John's. It was a very short journey because I was just uh, in the old days, then at nine in matric. But really important days because I think it just opened my eyes. It was different to anything that I'd been accustomed to growing up in a township, coming from a very revolutionary activist family. Um, and, and, you know, being here in, in, I guess, the middle of what today would be called white monopoly capital. So it just opened up another world, other possibilities. It just showed me how different and how diverse life 
is and i mean this of course before the days of youtube the internet you had to be there to see things for yourself so it, it was a wonderful education and uh, to this day i mean i when i met dr westdays it was actually at the school so i go to the school quite often because i'm involved because i also mentor a child there well you talked about your grandmother singing handel's messiah and here's that famous aria i know that my redeemer liveth Margaret Marshall singing with the English Baroque soloists, I Know That My Redeemer Liveth from Handel's Messiah. The choice of Kutluano Masote, who was remembering his grandmother, who sang that very aria. You mentioned that you came from an activist family, and I remember very well in the 80s playing for your grandfather's funeral at St. Mary's Cathedral, Zef Motopeng. That's correct. Uh, and I think, in if I remember rightly, was it the Azanian People's Organization that he was to do with or something? It was the Pan-Africanist Pan African. Yeah. Uh, and it was, of course, today it's a shadow of its former self. Uh, so, yeah, he, you know, he joined uh, politics at an early age. Um, he, they were part of the founding group with, you know, Mandela's uh, of, uh, and Anton Lembete of the, of the ANC Youth League in the 1940s. And uh, there were just like the Youth League is today, they were radicals. Uh, they were trying to be instigators of change. And uh, together with Sobuka and others, they broke away to form the PAC. And at the time of his death in 1990, Zef Motubing was the president of the PAC. Uh, so growing up, I mean, he was in, I was 17 when he died, but I guess for 15 to 16 years of those, li uh, 14 to 15 years of the, of my early life, he was always in some form of incarceration. So I had I didn't really get yeah. to know him. He was there and then not there for a long time. And then he was there and then not there for a very long time. Yeah. And but your your family have always been involved in sort of activism of the best sort, mm. um, involved in community work. Yeah. yeah. So so as I mentioned, my father started a youth orchestra. I mean, it was his burning ambition to because of the laws of the day, uh, you know, classical music and other forms of, you know, uh, life where, where, let's say, opportunities were not available to everyone. And one of those opportunities was music, classical music specifically. And he wanted to see choirs, because he came from a very strong choral background himself, perform with orchestras. And the only way that was ever going to happen is, is, was if somebody started a black youth orchestra. So that was, that's what really drove him. Um, and, you know, so that's the first bit of activism There's we've just mentioned to my maternal side of, of my family. But even on my father's side of the family, my cousins were all in Azapo, some of them in the ANC. Uh, and, and then my parents, of course, together ran the African Cultural Organization of South Africa, out of which, uh, well, through which they ran the orchestra, the Soweto Youth and Symphony Orchestra. And the Soweto String Quartet obviously comes out of that. And the Kemeser brothers, as you know, are, are cousins of mine. We have the same grandparents. Uh, the Kemeser brothers were the three of the founding members of the Soweto String Quartet. So it's, it's a family that, yeah, that has been, I would guess, of service to the community. Your next choice is Ladysmith Black Mambazo singing Dona Nobis Pacem. That's a version of Dona Nobis Pacem, Give Us Peace, by Isaac Rue, the South African composer. It was sung by Ladysmith Black Mambazo with the English Chamber Orchestra strings under Ralph Gottoni. And I guess by the look of it, that's another Robert Brooks 
It is. Thing. So, yes. uh, but the reason I chose it, so Robert uh, commissioned this uh, recording of of Lady Smith Black Mambazo and the arrangements by Isak Ru and the Chamber English Chamber Orchestra. But I I had met Isak a few years before he did this, and we remain friends to this day. Isak will turn sixty soon. Uh, I think in about five or six months, and. The reason, I mean, one of one of the first pieces I ever conducted with a with a professional orchestra was exactly that with Lady Smith Black Mambazo, so it, it's really special and close to my heart. How did you get into conducting? So I was friends. Another with, uh, right place at the right time. Yeah, m- right place at the right time, many times because I was friends with John Machikiza. Uh, John Machikiza was the son of Todd, who died 50 years ago this year. John died 10 years ago this year. And um, John first got in touch with me in those early days when I joined the National Symphony Orchestra in about 1998, 1999. He wanted to do a tribute to Father Trevor Huddleston. And his father had written a song called Makalipile, the dauntless one, as a tribute to to Father Huddleston. And Robert Maxime had had orchestrated this for strings and so that's how john found me to say can you organize strings for and we just you know started talking became friends and his dream was to do a big retrospective concert because his father was not only a journalist and novelist and author but he was also a composer of mostly choral music and a jazz pianist himself Uh, he wrote king kong he wrote another musical called mkumbani and uh, john always said we must do this and I was always going to help with the orchestra. And he always ended the meeting with, when we find the money, you are going to conduct. And I laughed it off for about five or six years until he found the money. And we did this concert for the mayor of Johannesburg with Lady Smith, Black Mambazo, the orchestra. And John said, this is it. Uh, so I was shipped off to Robert Maxime to 10 conducting lessons. Um, and, and it was a wonderful experience because Robert Maxime is one of the most knowledgeable people I know. Um, very interesting man, colorful man, very entertaining. Uh, but I learned a whole lot from him about the whole process of conducting. And he was a great mentor. So that's that's how that happened. And I also know that he taught uh, Sid Willem Schlongo, mm. whom we hear quite often on Classic 1027 yeah, also. Yeah. Let's hear now uh, the Bonisudumo choristers, because we've been talking about choral music quite a lot. This is from Hallelujah, from Messiah, it's the Hallelujah Chorus, sung in Venda, and you're going to tell us a story about Absolutely. this too. The Bonnie Sudumo Choristers singing the Hallelujah Chorus, but if you didn't recognize it, it was because it was being sung in Venda, the music, of course, by George Frederick Handel. Now, there's a story behind this too. Yeah, so I remember being about eight or nine years old, my father had these Bibles, you know, and they were all in different South African, African languages. And he was busy on a project because the texts from the Messiah are taken, Handel took from the King James Version of of, of the Bible. And uh, so my father was trying to make sense of it in a way of what if I translated, because the Bible, the translations were already done in the various languages, uh, Bible languages. And what if I took these and tried to match an appropriate language, uh, a meter appropriate language, uh, for every single item of the Messiah. And out of that was born the Black Messiah. So this was in about 1982, 1983. 
And uh, as you'll remember, this was a time of, uh, you know, the sort of hangover of the Steve Biko and black consciousness movement. I remember walking around graffiti in all townships, black power written everywhere. So that was the time. And so it was about celebrating our own languages, but using whatever we could, including classical music. So there was a first performance of Handel's Messiah in the black African languages of South Africa called the Black Messiah in 1983. Uh, and so that's a remnant of that. And, and he says he chose Venda for, for Hallelujah's, uh, Hallelujah Chorus because Venda is a marginalized uh, language and he thought he'd give it prominence by what is without a doubt the most famous classical piece of classical music. And is that still performed? Have you done it ever? I haven't done it since 2009, so uh, we're up for that anniversary next year. It'll be 10 years. But yeah, we did it quite a few times. He did it a few times. Uh, this recording you've just heard uh, was uh, with the Bonisi Duma Choristers and the JPO and even Ariantin conducting. So even a foreign conductor was attracted to the score and, and, and he, he did it. So yeah, I, I think we need to revive it, especially because my dad died now a year and a half ago. And it's very important to keep, to keep his memory alive because he did so much for so many people. But also, wasn't there a play about him recently at Grahamstown? There was yeah. something, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, um, as he's been getting, oh, he was getting older, you know, a lot of people, there was a TV series made on him and also uh, a uh, the play that you referred to, a collaboration between theatres in South Africa and in the Netherlands. The director who told the story was uh, Dagmar Slagmolen, a cellist and, and director who did a beautiful you know, job of telling my father's story through music. And I worked on it, and we were, we were actually Naledi nominated for the score. So I used, because the Messiah is very central to my father's life, as, as you know, you can hear. And so we borrowed a lot of music from that. There was some original music, and uh, it was very successful. It was performed uh, even in Paris and in Bloemfontein, Soweto Theatre and, and the National Arts Festival. And was it taken to the Netherlands as well? No, there were plans to take it to Netherlands, but these things cost money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, your next choice is Lang Lang, playing the third movement from the Piano Concerto Number no. 4 by Beethoven. Is there a story behind this? No, there isn't. It's just one of my favorite piano concertos. The last two of Beethoven's, uh, Number no. 4 and Number no. 5, everybody knows the Emperor, the Number no. 5. But I just, I just think this is Beethoven really... Probably the same age that I am now, uh, writing some of his best music, and like I am, going deaf. <laughs> and what was extraordinary about this piano concerto was that it started with the solo instrument. We don't hear that here because yeah. we're playing the third movement. But that was pretty revolutionary. It was revolutionary, time, and yeah. even more revolutionary for me is at the end of those first, first four bars of the piano, the orchestra comes in in an unrelated chord. So it plays and ends off in G major, and then the orchestra picks it up in B major. It's one of the most magical yeah. moments in classical music. Well, sadly, we're not hearing that, but we're hearing the r rondo, Lang Lang with the Paris Orchestra. That was the rondo, the third movement of the piano concerto number four in G major by Beethoven, Lang Lang playing with the Paris Orchestra under Christoph Eschenbach, the choice of Kutluana Masote, who's my guest in People of Note. Kudwana, we've got about two minutes left in this hour. How did you get into broadcasting? <laughs> we'll need more than two minutes. No, we won't, actually. Uh, so Rodney Trajan, who's still on our airwaves on Classic 1027, um, I befriended him when I joined the orchestra in 1998. 
uh, because he was he used to do our pre-concert talks. This is the National Symphony Orchestra. And, uh, of course, he was still broadcasting on SAFM. And when Mike Ford, uh, our previous uh, station manager, took over this station uh, in 1999, I think it was, his predecessor, Ian DeForce, used to do a program, amongst other things that he did at the station, called Classic Essay, local content, one hour a night. And so when Ian left, Mike thought it would be great to bring in a younger voice, a black person, preferably. And, you know, speaking to his mate, Rodney said, do you know anyone? Rodney said, I have just the guy for you. And that's how it began. That's exactly how it began. Right place, right time. That's it. Actually, isn't it amazing how much of our lives is governed by that moment of chance i think it's predestined and you just have to be open to it yeah yeah no it is amazing i mean i've had a lot of well lucky breaks if you like yeah. to call them that um and it's been it's just been wonderful to go with the flow yeah as it was. and it's very natural isn't it I and mean, you know it's the right thing and everybody else around you that sees it says yeah but that is the natural choice you're listening to People of Note on Classic 1027. My guest is someone that you all know if you listen to Classic 1027 because he does the morning show from 10 until 2. His name is Kutluano Masote, and the program is People of Note. Well, that's the first movement and the second movement from the Cello Concerto in E Minor by Edward Elgar in a very famous recording. Yeah. The definitive recording. You know, if as a young cellist or any age cellist, if you're ever going to learn that piece, you have to listen to that recording. Jacqueline Dupre was only 18 years old. Of course, she needed to still practice, as Pablo Casals once said of her, when they said, ah, the English cellist, uh, Jacqueline Dupre. And he said, yes, she's good, but she must still practice. So, I mean, by no means the finished product, but she just has a way of communicating this music that, you know, even up till today, I've never heard anyone play this piece. It's it's almost as if Elgar had her in mind when he wrote it. And I also think uh, Barbie Rolly, who was conducting there with the London Symphony Orchestra, he was also a cellist. Yes, he was. He was. And uh, he was uh, he was one of the great, of course, uh, English conductors. Um, he was very influential on and on Dupre herself, and he would have helped her with some of the interpretations on how to draw that music from the page and bring it to life. And talking about people and so on, you've got children, you, you mentioned them earlier, hmm. who are also musicians. Yeah, so I've got, well, I don't know if they qualify to be called musicians, well, but they are very musical, budding, and budding. they're budding. Uh, the one in particular uh, has every chance of becoming a musician. So the my youngest son is 12, he's a clarinetist, um, very gifted boy, he's got perfect pitch, which which is a rare gift uh, if you're born with it. Most of it have, most of us have to develop it or develop something called relative pitch just to help you navigate your music Musical life, uh, so he's he's doing well, uh, and we're very proud of him. But the, my eldest son, my 14-year-old son, uh, Pendo, is a violinist, and of course, he's currently at the Yehudi Menuhin School in London. A really lucky boy, following in your footsteps, following my footsteps. So Yehudi Menuhin is central to to my family's life because it's when my father saw him play after the war. Uh, I sound like an old person, but after the Second World War. Uh, Menuhin concertized all over the world and he came to play in Sophia Town. Um, one of the conditions of him accepting a concert tour to South Africa was that there needed to be a concert organized where there'd be no uh, racial exclusions for the audiences. So an, a concert was organized in Sophia Town and my father would have been nine years old at the time. 
and he tells a story. I used to tell the story about uh, boys playing in the street and being like asked to come and listen to this concert. And he went. And within five minutes, of course, the the audience had lost interest. People were talking while Menuhin was playing. But he was just so captivated by this violin and this man, the short man. People don't realize what a short man Yahudi Menuhin was, um, playing the violin. And he and that's where the seed was planted in his head. Later on, I mentioned that I was given a, a scholarship by Menuhin himself to go and study at the Menuhin Academy in Switzerland. And I mean, to complete that, uh, my own son uh, is studying at or schooling at the Yehudi Menuhin School, uh, which is a school for children between 8 and 18 in, in Sari, near London. That's a wonderful story. Your next choice is by Mozart. It's the fourth movement, the fantastic fourth movement from his Jupiter Symphony. It's played here by the Royal Concertgebouw Orchestra under Nicholas Arnenkor the amazing final movement from the Jupiter Symphony by Mozart, Symphony Number no. 41, played by the Royal Concertgebouw Orchestra under Nicholas Arnencourt, the choice of Kutuano Masote. Kutuano, you've talked about your own two children and your your whole family. Your wife is also involved in this music business as an organizer, isn't she? Yeah, we Does work she together. Play? Does she play? No, she doesn't. She always jokes that she plays the cellist. But uh, no, she doesn't. She doesn't play. Um, you know, not really musical. She didn't grow up with musical like like I did, for example. But I think over the years, she's she's developed a sensibility to it. Obviously, you know, if if I say, oh, we need an orchestra for this, I need two flutes, two oboes, two clarinets, two percussion. She knows exactly who to book because we've been doing this together for some years now. Well, and here's you conducting now. Uh, just tell us about this. So this is the Bala brothers. That's um, why Bala uh, is more my age. He's the eldest of the three brothers. And we've, we've been friends for, I guess, the best part of 20 years because he was also on the station at some point. And uh, Zwai got in touch with me to say they're doing this DVD uh, recording with an orchestra. So we had to put the orchestra together and he asked me to conduct. And we shot this at the Lyric Theatre. Uh, it was broadcast it was something, for something called PBS, which are the, I guess, public broadcast services of, of the USA. They funded the whole project and it, it really went viral when it first came out in 2015. And this is Going Home, of course, music written by slaves, uh, spiritual, uh, that Dvořák then borrowed uh, to use in the slow movement of his uh, New World Symphony. The Bala Brothers singing Going Home, music by Anton and Dvořák in a very nice arrangement. I don't know who made the arrangement. Uh, I can't remember his name, but he was one of those New Yorkers that, that are just so brilliant at this kind of thing. And Kutluana Masote, who's my guest in People of Note, he was conducting there. And you've got concerts coming up. Yeah, so as our listeners would have heard on the station, uh, Golden Gate Classics happening this coming weekend. Uh, so, uh, you know, my idea with this concert, since we've been speaking about it for nearly three years now, and we had our first edition last year, is to make it really an exclusive weekend away, first of all. So we have a concert on Friday night, Nduduzo Makatini and Lindiwe Makolo. So that's a jazz concert. But the Saturday night gala event, which happens on the lawns of the Protea Hotel in, in, um, in, at Golden Gate Highlands National Park, in front of the Brandwach Rock. I mean, it is the most spectacular setting. So I wanted this to be operatic because 
it is the most unexpected thing that you can hear under the stars in the middle of the Eastern Free State. So uh, we've got Aubrey Ludewig, Caroline Ngwe coming from Germany. In fact, she arrives today. And uh, Gauteng Opera, who are no strangers to our station, and the Free State Symphony Orchestra. Lots of other things in the meantime. Last night, for example, I, you know, we did a concert in the city. It was a gala dinner and we were the orchestra performing at the dinner. Some original music of my own as well uh, because I wrote the signature, signature tune for something called the Blue Blazer. And uh, a really, really busy time at the moment for us. Well, this is good. Yeah, Musicians well, like to be busy. Yeah, I wish it was spread out more evening, evenly throughout the year. but that's, It never know, is somehow. You, you bank what yeah, you can. Yeah. It, it all comes at one time. But we're going to finish with your final choice, which is by Beethoven. And it's got menu and playing because obviously he's been a big part of your life. Yeah. My grandfather, you know, I, you know, he, he really was a, a grandfather figure to me. When I was studying at the Menuhin Academy in Switzerland, it was a very small school. There were only about 20 of us, really privileged to have been there. And he'd come maybe twice, three times a year to conduct, give master classes. And he'd always ask after me. And uh, I, I think the others were jealous. Uh, but he was my grandfather. Everybody knew it. Um, twice, in fact, my parents came over. Uh, to, 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 to Germany where he was also at that festival in Ingolstadt and we'd always have lunch, share stories and he was, you know, he just couldn't believe that I was sitting there because my father had heard him play you know, in the early 1950s so it's, it's a really beautiful story kind man, great violinist of course and later uh, a wonderful conductor, philanthropist uh, really the model citizen and, and, I, and I really learned a lot from him and try to emulate him wherever I can. And here he is, Yehudi Menuhin, playing the first movement of the Beethoven Violin Concerto. That was obviously quite an old recording of Yehudi Menuhin playing the first movement of the Violin Concerto in D major by Beethoven, the final choice of Kutluano Masote, who's been my guest in People of Note. Thank you for being on the program. Thank you for revealing a little more of yourself to our listeners. No, thank you for asking me, Richard. You know, I thought, why would they want to hear about or from me? But I'm glad you persuaded me, and I'm glad I was able to just share some of my thoughts and my stories. And your wonderful stories, and I really hope you write, or somebody writes a book about your dad and perhaps your whole family, because mm. it sounds as though there's a much more interesting story in the whole family. Watch this space. Watch this space. I hope you're working on it. Well, there we are. That's it for tonight. Thank you all for listening. And until next time, from all of us here at Classic 1027, we wish you a very good night.